dear respected teacher, dear noble community, dear brothers and sisters, here in this hall as, uh, as well as a little bit uh, everywhere. I believe uh, this morning we are streaming uh, today's sharing. So our friends who uh, are not able to come to Plum Village can also uh, benefit from our presence, our collective uh, energy. And this is a wonderful opportunity uh, to actually uh, sit here, but also mm, try our best to be aware that we are also sitting a little bit everywhere. <laughs> I wish I can see uh, everywhere, uh, people everywhere right now. They, um, some of them are probably in their own apartment. Some of them is probably evening or another time, another angle of the sun. And they are probably uh, smiling, enjoying being together. Um, although we should be uh, separating ourselves and distancing ourselves. <laughs> but we uh, know that uh, just remembering and thinking of each other, we can feel uh, that connection and we can feel the closeness. Mm. Today is uh, March 29, and I believe, and I forgot this morning that it is the, is it the equinox? Or something, huh? Is a, uh, it's just a time change, huh? Okay. <laughs> It was definitely a, uh, a, a shock. Mm. It's weird, huh? When you get this uh, man-made change. Mm. As well as uh, in the last couple of days, uh, we experienced here in Upper Hamlet in Plum Village uh, a change in temperature. It went down below negative two. And the week before, a uh, few weeks before, it was quite warm, as I think that was the basic mm, kind of understanding that, okay, we're out. Then it became cold again. Uh, I was ready to put away my thermals and stuff, and uh, <laughs> I took them back out. And uh, I've been walking around and looking at the blossoms or the little uh, buds and kind of asking the buds, like, uh, are you surprised? And, and I wonder whether the plants are wondering as well. It's like, what is happening? Why are things changing? Uh, so, uh, Unpredictably, I think, uh, I wonder if the plants uh, think like we do. As human beings, we, we have that capacity to kind of like uh, ask questions like that. But I wonder what the flowers are, how they're feeling it. Like they're ready to go open and bloom. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh. <laughs> bring out the thermos again. Mm. Luckily, some of them still have their thermal, their protective uh, shell. They haven't really shed those, so those uh, might be okay. But some, you notice, are already uh, um, 
blooming. I have a plant outside my uh, uh, room, and the leaf got uh, a little bit frosted, and it, I think another night of that, it probably will uh, die. So we had to bring it back in, and luckily it, uh, you know, it revived itself. Mm. So this is uh, kind of a moment we are having as a mm, as a planet, as a human species, and I think uh, the whole planet, the ocean, the non-human elements have been asking that these questions for a long time. What is happening to us? It's just we, as humans, we haven't been listening. The forests have been asking, it's like, what is going on? The, uh, the landscape of Australia has been asking that question. The Amazon have been asking, what is happening to us? The questions that we are asking ourselves now as a human family, we are, some of us are, have loved ones who are in sickness, who are in ill health. Some of us are in the sick bed as well. We are asking that question, what is happening to us? This is a wonderful opportunity for us to, uh, is a moment for us to uh, listen as a planet, listen as a, not just a human species, but also listen to the cries of the other system, the other kingdom, the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom, the mountain kingdom, the ocean kingdom. They were wondering. The ocean ask, have been asking this question for the last hundred, year, hundred or so years since the, uh, we discovered oil and plastics and so on. It was like, what is happening to What is happening to all our fishes? And this is something... Uh, uh, so I think uh, we are at a moment right now. Mm. I think the Buddha, mm, the first teaching he gave, uh, he, he used the word uh, uh, noble in it. Mm, the Four Noble Truths. And I have been really, that, that word has been really just in the back of my mind in the last uh, week or so. Mm, the moment, I would say, uh, this moment is a noble moment. In the same way that the, mm, that the suffering is a noble truth. And people usually ask, uh, what is so noble about suffering? And why is it a truth? And so this is a, a moment for our humanity to to stop, to to seize this moment, and and ask ourselves what uh, what can we uh, learn from this? 
So when something is noble, what the Buddha is using the term is that uh, it has something to teach us. So the, I think the word he uses is uh, Abraham uh, at that, that time, Brahman, which is really used to uh, like the nobility of a higher class. But the Buddha used that word, uh, he played with that word and he took it down and said, you want to know what is really noble? It is the, the truth that suffering can teach us something very deep. And I think this is uh, a truth that we all, I think, I imagine every one of you here in Plum Village have touched. And that is the reason why it brought you here. It brought you onto the path. Because you were able to touch a kind of suffering within yourself. Something deep, something very, uh, mm, mm, help you wake up to something. So when our truth is noble, it helps us wake up. It helps us see something that we didn't see before. So what we are experiencing as a human species, we have forgotten. We've gone through many uh, pandemics, many uh, periods in the past where, you know, a third of the population also died. So this is, as a human family, it's just we've forgotten in our abundance, in our overpopulating the planet. We just forgot. And so I think somehow nature is reminding us. It's like, hey. So this moment, um, we have a chance to mm, really stop and to look. So there's a chance here for liberation, to free ourselves from our ways of behaving and ways of thinking. So that's what uh, it means when we think of noble. So I've been holding that in my heart and just praying, actually, praying. <laughs> or how would you say, not to some higher being, but holding in awareness is a kind of a prayer to be mindful, to hold in our awareness as we eat, as we walk, as we sleep and do what we need to do. Once in a while I would take a breath and I would say, this is a noble moment for our human family, for our loved ones, for all of us who are in fear, who are in blame, who are vulnerable,
came, I just touched the mm, along with holding that uh, uh, that hope, that chance, mm, because the fear of what will happen can you can go both ways, and in having studied human history, it can easily go either way. And that's what I've been holding. And so my tears come from that hope, that uh, that prayer that, uh, you know, a little bit everywhere on the planet, that uh, nurses, doctors, people in positions of power who have the means that they also can touch this noble moment and awaken. And so I really, that's what, uh, it's kind of like my, that's why it's kind of like borderline prayer. <laughs> kind of like sending it out there and say, you know, I think there's a sutra that Thay shares about when the Buddha, you know, calls and all the bodhisattvas. It's in, uh, I think, the Avatamsa Sutra. And all the bodhisattvas kind of like spring up and they help. And we have many bodhisattvas right now. The nurses who sacrifice their own safety, their own family, their own well-being, so that they can help other people. The doctors who now have to stay away from their own loved ones, their family, because they are exposed to so many who are sick. These are not uh, imaginary bodhisattva. And you can just imagine that kind of mind, the amount of sacrifice, your own safety, and your sacrifice to be near your loved ones, just for the sake of other who are in need, who are sick. There are those who are doing everything they can to connect to other people, even though they are isolated. I think in Italy it's most famous, right? Singing across the piazza. <laughs> Can't touch, but they can sing. Huh? Uh, that's very beautiful. And everyone says, uh, oh, those Italians. But the Italian poet recently wrote and said, oh, you wait, Americans. You will do the same. <laughs> Uh, except they will be singing different songs. Mm. So these, uh, these bodhisattvas are springing up, and we need to keep this uh, alive in our heart. It is both painful and also liberating. And that's what, the, that's what tears come from, you know? The tears of healing is both painful and liberating and healing. And this is what I pray those who are, are in places of power, who are, yeah, they somehow, you know, that they, mm, that they have a chance that through their own suffering, that they will see the connection to other people in more disadvantaged places, uh, to see the connection that brings us all together. That is uh, a kind of, uh, a kind of, yeah, that's a noble, uh, a noble awareness. And so we call these uh, 
noble bodhisattvas. And so this is uh, uh, what the planet is communicating. This moment is a precious moment. And you know, our teacher has been teaching that his whole life. Reminding us how precious, how wonderful is the present moment. Even in the midst of our own pain and suffering, we can use our breathing, our walking, our steps, to touch also the wonder of us now alive and healthy enough for those of us. So there's also the noble present moment. So today, I will share with you our practice, or how can we uh, practice during this time. So like I shared, uh, this moment can help us awaken to uh, how precious it is to have, to be living, to also how fragile we are, how vulnerable we are. And this is also a kind of awakening. I think the human species, we have, uh, we've become overconfident, sometimes a little bit arrogant in our, um, this is um, in our view of the planet, the environment, and other species. I think this moment can uh, help us mm, be a little bit more humble. I hope so. This is also a kind of prayer. Because there are those who believe that we can uh, fix this, we can overcome this and get back to normal really quickly. And science can do that. But this is just the beginning, I think. The course that we're going. So there's an opportunity to seize this moment. And to do this as a practitioner, you need to come back to the basics. So meditation, the practice of mindfulness, can help us do this. First thing we need to do is to take care of ourselves. You cannot help, you cannot liberate, you cannot do anything unless you are taking care of yourself, you're in balance. So the breathing, we train in the breathing so we can come back to our body, come back to the present moment. This is very basic and very crucial at this moment in time. Uh, Right now, many of us are bombarded with news and media. 
And there's a tendency for us uh, to project and to think about the future and ask what will happen. And our loved ones as well. And for us to become a refuge, we need to be stable, calm, and not be riled up by the emotion. So the mindfulness of the breath, coming back to the breath, let us uh, make that, weave that into our day, in our, into our life. You might not be able to go anywhere, to go out to the park, but you always have a chance to breathe and know that you are alive. Your lungs are well. Yes, you have someone in your family who is sick. Yes, you have friends and loved ones who are ill with one form of sickness or another. But you cannot help if you are also not stable and not uh, um, cannot take care of yourself. So with just one breath, it can be a miracle. You can really bring your mind back to your body and not let it run with anxiety, fear, and a lot of projection. So anytime you recognize uh, that that is happening, your mind is being pulled away from your body, take a deep breath. You might even touch your finger and come back. It's called stopping. So right now, as a human species, we're having to stop. But us as an individual, as a practitioner, we also need to stop. I joked with uh, an interviewer the other day that uh, this is a moment where the whole planet is required to go on retreat, mandatory, and supported by all governments. And so actually the, the, the border for this rains retreat, planetary rains retreat, is even tighter than the upper hamlet monks. Huh? <laughs> Our rains retreat, we would have our uh, border that you cannot go out of to include like, you know, hiking trails up the church and around. But now the retreat, the border is even tighter. I think 100 meters now in France. Uh, 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 it's 100 kilometers or something. Oh, one kilometers, yeah. Sorry. 100, kilo 100 kilometers. What can you do with that? Uh, and I think the time-wise, it's only uh, one, one hour, is that right? Yeah. One hour, one kilometer. What, can you do much with that? Yeah, you could probably. I heard there was a woman who uh, ran the marathon in her apartment. She, uh, and she said it was a lot of fun. So this moment of stopping, So there's a big retreat for our planet, and some of us uh, are not used to it. We actually, it's, uh, it's very difficult not to be busy. 
it's very difficult to be at home all day, all night. And it's difficult right now to might even be with our loved one 24 hours. And so the practice of taking care of oneself, making sure that you uh, have that stability. So whatever is happening emotion-wise, please make time to take care of that, to turn the compost, as we say. So two things. One, your body. Two, your emotion. Right now, those two, very crucial. So we, we call it the image you use is you build the island or you make the mountain. Right now, we need to, each one of us as practitioner, because uh, we, we don't know what's going to happen, but we know being stable will help. So learning to take care of our feelings, our anxiety, not letting that push us back and forth. The stillness is very important. So please, in your uh, retreat, global planetary retreat, please make time to take care of yourself. Find a corner, a room, some place, and breathe. Be still, be silent away from disturbance, to take care of your body, your breath, and your feelings. The image uh, we can use is uh, the boat is rocking, and there are a hundred people on that boat. Everyone is fearful, jumping around. And you have to ask yourself, is there, where do I, re- what, where do I rely on? Who can I rely on on the boat? Where can I find safety on this boat, this planet? And so the person who sits still on the boat doesn't contribute to the rocking. So that's a very wonderful image to use. And we need stability, stable people, still. And from that stillness, clarity comes. So we don't move and act and think from a place of fear, anxiety, because that will lead to uh, animal instinct. You know, the fright and flight, uh, the fright and fight, or even freeze and become like, you know, shocked and mm, despair. Those come because of the, we cannot handle our emotion. They trigger the animal instinct. And from that, we usually blame. And this is where it's very dangerous. We will make uh, another group. And out of the other. And then, you know, what happens with that? 
from the history of our human behavior. It's very dangerous when collectively we are in fear. After the 9-11 incident in America, uh, Thay was uh, uh, in in California first and then New York. And the message during that tour, uh, when right after that had happened, because a whole American country was in fear and they wanted to react right away and to cause more violence. And it was very dangerous at that time to tell everyone to stop and not to go to war. But that was the recommendation for many spiritual leaders, including our teacher. When there's fear, collectively, it becomes a very powerful force for violence and, and destruction. We usually find something to blame. So at this moment, uh, there's a lot of fear. And right now, luckily, it's not luckily, but it's uniformly indiscriminate of any type of people. It's, you know, so it's uh, everyone is uh, being affected across class, across uh, nations, across borders, across ethnicity, across religion. So I think that's a, a kind of a blessing. So there isn't anyone to blame. But we do have that tendency from fear. So we really need to take care of our emotion and contribute to the stillness, the clarity. So the stillness brings the clarity. And from that clarity, we can really look at this noble moment and contribute to the collective insight, the collective awakening. And this kind of uh, deep looking is not lost. When we realize this, when we touch this and we can hold this kind of deep looking, this awareness, this insight of interbeing, of humility, of fragility, of vulnerability, it affects the others. So this is something also as a bodhisattva work that we all need to first take care of ourselves. You can't do anything if your mind is in fear, anxiety, busyness. So come in touch with that. So stability brings clarity. The clarity, you're able to hold an insight, a kind of whole compassion, whole non-discrimination. These energies hold love. So you can keep that in your heart. You are a bodhisattva right now. So this is uh, what we need right now as a collective. Everyone hold on to that and send it out. Wi-Fi, you know, heavy step, send it out. And this is something mm, doing walking meditation we can do. Mm. 
I'll read with you a quote from Thai about fearlessness. So when we are clear and we are mind is uh, can see things deeply, uh, it can help us touch a state of fearlessness, something bigger. And I quote Thai. Uh, If we can model the ability to embody non-fear and non-attachment, it is more precious than any money or material wealth. Fear spoils our lives and makes us miserable. We cling to objects and people like a drowning person clings to any object that floats by. By practicing non-attachment. And sharing this wisdom with others, we give the gift of non-fear. Everything is impermanent. This moment passes. The object of our craving walks away, but we can know happiness is always possible. So the greatest gift uh, they say a, a bodhisattva can give. A nurse, a doctor, someone caring for a sick person, is their fearlessness. And the story or the image sometimes I use: you cannot help anyone. A doctor cannot help if the doctor gets, you know, is fearful and not stable. So that this is something a gift that we can offer to our loved ones, but we need to have that nourish and maintain that insight. And how can we touch this, this fearlessness, and by deep looking? So this is the other aspect of mindfulness practice that helps us stop. And when we stop regularly enough, and we are stable and still enough, the other aspect of meditation, it helps us see things, deep looking. And here, when we, what can we look at? Like I asked the question, why is this a noble moment? What makes this a noble moment? So you explore. There's pain. Our loved ones, my father, my mother, they are at risk. My father is sick. What can we learn from this? How can I help? Being over here. So the deep looking is a kind of a maintaining an awareness of the moment and. If your mind is clear, asking the right questions. The image of deep looking is like a butterfly. When the butterfly stops on the flower, it is the first aspect of meditation. It begins to stop and see the flower, and then the butterfly moves around the flower. That's deep looking. It's like exploring the flower. So when we are stable, our breath, and we are established in the present moment, 
our mind is not dispersed, then we can use those moments to look deeply at what is happening. Why is happening? Why is this happening? So don't just wait for the news and the numbers, but you can actually use meditation to touch a deeper truth. It's not, this didn't come out from nowhere. So in Buddhism, we, the, the frame of looking is a condition, causes and condition. We look at the conditions that has brought this moment about. How have we behaved as a human species? There's a moment where I was reflecting how imagining myself maybe maybe several hundred years ago, maybe 8,000 years ago, 800, when we, we didn't have much, our science was not developed. And I imagine myself actually getting to my knees and praying. Yeah, why is this happening? Where, where is this plague taking over and killing everyone? But we are in the 21st century and science, technology is, uh, is quite quick. And it is almost like a, a, a gift that we are connected in this world wide web that we know that this is happening not just in one country, but hundreds of countries. And it's happening to everyone. So they, they say this is the first pandemic in modern history where uh, there's social media. Yeah? Like an Italian sings across the window, the whole planet knows. I mean, that is a kind of uh, into being. Yeah? Someone, you know, passes away, causes an infection, and the whole planet knows and has a graph of where this person went. So in a way, we are, uh, our insight, our deep looking in our modern times is, mm, how do you say, mm, is in, informed as well as we know that it is our own causing. That's what I want to share. It's like, you know, it's not like some beard person up there or some mm, other foreign force that is causing this. It is known. It is informed. But we need to go deeper and look deeper. So this is where the Buddhist teaching comes in about the uh, condition arising. When something arises, it has conditions for it. It's quite uh, in line with uh, the way the science approach things to look at how, as a human species, as a planet, how we be, how have we been organizing and behaving 
that caused this. And it's not one cause or one place. We have to see the system, the whole economic, social, cultural, political system that supports just the fact of transportation in itself reflecting on that. We value and we praise so much the global interconnected transport system that we have. We can go anywhere, anytime. Now I think this is uh, uh, giving us new insights that is not such a good idea <laughs> sometimes. It's a cross, crossing. I think of what happened to the Native Americans in the Turtle Island, what we call America, when the Europeans came and they brought their, the, the, the viruses from Europe. It wiped out a whole population and they had no idea back then what happened. But it was actually in the sharing of blankets and things out of goodness of heart, uh, the whole population was uh, ill, got sick, and disappeared. So this is something has not uh, has not has never happened in a human family. I think now with the uh, and we were so proud of our transportation system. I think now we uh, can uh, be humble to it. And now actually see how precious it is to actually go out, right? Now that we are confined and isolated. So what are some tools for us to use? As a meditator, we can use the uh, the frame of impermanence. Very helpful right now to hold on. You know, like think of uh, impermanence as a pair of glasses that you put on. So there's a way of looking at things. And we have to train to look like that and not wait until it's too late. So everything that is precious to us, that we are attached to, that we cling on to, including our health, our fingernails, our hair, our teeth. So that you keep that awareness when you brush your teeth. So it's not just like illness and death your clothing, the plastics, the shelter that we have, the food. So we begin to look with the eye of impermanence. Our breathing. So when we sit, we can look deeply using the insight of impermanence to contemplate our breath. Where does it go? <coughs> Breathing in. Where is my in-breath? Breathing out. 
Where is my out breath now? Can I stop this change of in and out? Where does this in breath, this oxygen, this air coming in my lungs come from? Can I stop it from changing? Does my in-breath die? Does it become the out-breath? So each moment we have an opportunity when we come back to our breath to come in touch with impermanence which is another word for life. Life is happening because of in and out, of birth and death. But it's very uh, easy to forget because we are habitual animals and habitual thinkers and we take things for granted very easily. So that's why the training, the practice of coming back and stopping, stealing and looking and remembering. So mindfulness also means, the word smirti also means to remember. And so it's not really a correct translation to say that a smirti is mindfulness. Smriti is also to remember, to recollect. In this moment, I am changing. My family, my loved ones changing. Everything is changing. And so we train to look at that. And that is a, a deeper way of looking at things. We suffer because we don't want things to change. That is what the Buddha realized. And that's a noble truth. At life, everything is impermanent. And we suffer because we don't accept that. So the impermanence is our teacher it is what makes the truth noble because it wakes us up. And in this moment, is a very rare moment because collectively we are all confronting a threat that is right in front of our door. And I think we only change when we feel threatened, right? Ah, it's hot. I shouldn't touch that again or wait until we have no more food. And then things, people really start to change. But the planet has been changing because of our human activities and has been communicating that to us very much 
like the liver communicating when it's hardened. And we know that this pain. But as a planet, as a human species, we somehow it was not such a threat yet. Kind of like, uh, yeah, I noticed the weather is starting to change. I know it's very different. It's not very stable anymore, is it, happy farmers? Something uh, is not predictable anymore. Or like certain parts of the world, mm, they're losing their property, the water, the salt water, the ocean is affecting. But ah, it's news, right? So we, uh, we don't uh, really, you know, they, they, we've been calling the, the, the climate movement activists have been asking for both systematic change and personal life change, lifestyle change. But it's very difficult, the lifestyle change. One of the most difficult front right now is to convert from meat eating to veganism or vegetarian even. It's very difficult. If you did that, it, you know, many people are like tiptoeing. It's only recently it's become like one of the, but like uh, maybe two years ago during the COP21 in Paris, during that agreement, there was no mention about meat eating. In fact, we proposed it and they said, no, we cannot say that. Now it's become a major part of... Uh, so it, our, our ability to change is uh, very hampered because the threat is not in front of us. I remember, I, I imagine a year ago, the brothers and sisters were thinking about uh, how to get the Dharma teachers not to fly less, I mean, to fly, how to fly less, to fly around giving Dharma talks and stuff. And I remember one brother was like, no, that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what would happen to all the retreat? They would go crazy. You know, to, just to imagine that we, we, we won't fly around to teach the Dharma, let alone the whole planet stop flying. Like a year ago, you tell me that, and I would react like my brother reacted to the proposal that the Dharma teachers don't fly. It's like, you're crazy. You think people, they would never stop flying. But you see what uh, is possible? The human potential to cooperate and change is possible. This is what makes it a noble moment. We are realizing, actually, that we, as a whole planet, can coordinate and like change a behavior, a major behavior, international flying. Why is that? Impermanence. Death. <laughs> Everyone's afraid of dying, of course. But that will... You want to change? Somehow we need to bring that into the climate movement. How do we do that? I mean, if it's threatening the dolphins, the oceans, the forests, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, the Amazon is 
but I still have oxygen. I'm sorry, I have a little humorous side of me, and I know this is a serious topic. <laughs> mm. The other day, my, a few of us, uh, my brother and some of the happy farmers, we sat on Thai's deck in the morning to drink tea and watch the sunrise. It was a very noble moment to come in touch with Mother Earth and our father, son, a source of life, of everything living on this planet, this relationship with our ecosystem and the, the sun. And we realized that morning, and we kind of knew, yeah, but it was the first time we saw the sunrise with completely no, uh, what do you call those things, trails? The contrails, it was clear blue sky, except one plane. Uh, I think Blue took a picture. <laughs> Unbelievable. I've sat there many mornings, and I always count at least 10 airplanes after two and a half, three hours of sitting there. That morning, completely, I wanted to take it for Thai. Because I remember we would sit with Thai and to eat breakfast or something, and always these trails and it would just spread out and become these uh, geometric clouds, you know. <laughs> but anyway, this, uh, I, if anything, we had a moment like that on the planet and we thought that that would not be possible. So noble moment does not mean just suffering. It's also a wonderful moment. So in the waking up that makes us uh, the moment noble, there's also the waking up to the wonder of life, the wonder of impermanence. And this is not to play down that when things change in our family, our loved ones get sick, ill, and die, that we don't suffer pain. This is also part of our the human experience. So please uh, hold that uh, frame. Remember those glasses. Especially when things change and emotions rise, come back, steal yourself, and touch that, uh, that noble truth. Of course, we can also touch in impermanence the, the, the vulnerability of the breath, of our health, of our loved ones, of the environment. And I think this is something uh, that can help us. Uh, I hope we can hold on to that insight, how vulnerable we are as a human species, realizing that and taking that 
awareness and seeing and applying it to other systems, the animal, the environment, the ocean, how frail it is. This is something I hope we can uh, maintain the, the vulnerability of our uh, biosphere. Very delicate. I would like to um, read a, a text from Thai at this moment um, from the letters to Mother Earth and this one I'll read one letter um, about our stability and patience. Dear Mother Earth, you are this infinite, beautiful blue planet, fragrant, cool, and kind. Your immeasurable patience and endurance makes you a great bodhisattva. Even though we've made many mistakes, you always forgive us. Every time we return to you, you are ready to open your arms to embrace us. Whenever I'm unstable, every time I lose touch with myself, or I'm lost in forgetfulness, sadness, hatred, or despair, I know I can come back to you. Touching you, I can find a refuge. I can reestablish my peace and regain my joy and self-confidence. You love, protect, and nurture all of us without discrimination. You have an immense capacity to embrace, handle, and transform everything that is cast at you, whether it is great asteroids, refuge, filth, poisonous fumes, or radioactive waste. Time helps you to do this, and your history has shown that you've always succeeded, even if it takes a million years. You were able to establish equilibrium after the devastation, the devastating collision that created the moon and have endured at least five mass extinctions, reviving yourself every time. You have an extraordinary capacity to renew, transform, and heal yourself, and also us, your children. I have faith in your great power of healing. My faith comes from my own observation experience, not from something others have told me to believe. That is why I know I can take refuge in you. As I walk, sit, and breathe. I can surrender myself to you, trust wholly in you, and I'll allow you to heal me. I know I don't have to do anything at all. I can simply relax, release all the tension in my body and all the fears and worries in my mind. Whether I'm sitting or walking, lying down or standing, I allow myself to take refuge in you and I allow myself to be held and healed by you. I entrust myself to you, Mother Earth. 
Each one of us needs a place of refuge, but we may know, we, but we may not know how to find it or how to get there. Looking deeply today, I can see that my true home, my true place of refuge, is you, my beloved planet. I take refuge in you, Mother Earth. I do not have to go anywhere to find you. You are already in me, and I'm already in you, dear Mother Earth. Each time I sit in stillness on your Earth, I will be aware that because you are in me, I can embody your wonderful qualities of solidity, perseverance. Patience and forbearance, of depth, endurance, and stability, of great courage, non-fear, and inexhaustible creativity. I vow to practice wholeheartedly to realize these qualities, knowing that you have already shown these potentials as seeds in the soil of my heart and mind. And here we use the word "I" and "you" as the whole humanity. I think this moment, uh, uh, this letter, expresses our uh, untrusting ourselves. That the lessons uh, we need to learn will go deep in our consciousness. That will transform us. So one last frame uh, we can use for uh, our reflection in this moment to help us uh, look deeply at what is happening, what our teacher call interbeing, the frame of interbeing. The first one, impermanence. Second one, interbeing, the way to look at things. I think this is something we're waking up to, just the fact of illness in itself, of our uh, shared uh, common ancestry that we are vulnerable. This connects us all. The suffering makes us very aware that there is and the barrier between you and me is very, very fine. And to look at the interbeing nature of our planet, that what we do to one species, one eco bio system, the water, the forest, the mountain, the snow, the air, we are doing to ourselves. This is, a, if nobody is getting this message. You know, we, we call it the what they have avian flu, swine flu. They have a human flu yet. Is uh, it's a, in in naming it. We feel 
It should wake us up and see the pain that we have caused to the animal kingdom. Not just the plant kingdom and the mineral kingdoms. So out of our ignorance, our greed, our arrogance, we treat and we exploit. And so this uh, moment, this noble moment wakes us up to the fact uh, we're very well informed and very well studied, still to be understood. That when we cause suffering to an animal kingdom, a species, that it has ramification. And I hope this informs our exploration into the genetic kingdom. That we uh, become much more cautious in our exploration of nature and to see it as something we can uh, exploit for our own greed and uh, and uh, exploitive nature motives to use for our own benefit at the cost of something else that so we we uh, uh, are very oblivious to this web I think this is something this into being insight is uh, I just you know, I just hope it just really goes into people. Mm. Of course, those uh, uh, who have, mm, that's why it's important to take care of ourselves now, to do what we need to do, to take care of our loved ones, to find that stability and that clarity again so that we can actually maintain this insight and help our collective awakening. This is the moment, the calling, the earth is calling. I think she has been, been calling, but we have been listening and we have been denying. And now I think we are paying the price, some of us, our families, and our culture, yeah, we are losing a lot of our culture, our liberties, our ability to interact. We can't hug now, you know. I hear, I just yesterday I hugged somebody, and and they say, it's uh. <laughs> like you know we we're, we're made to hug, you know, like <laughs> or like at least you know, and you know in a month, you know, it's like. But what if it lasts a little bit longer? Can you handle a year without touching another human being? I mean, anyways, maybe not everybody has that problem, but is I have a habit of tapping people and like, you know, touching people and, and uh, it's very difficult, <laughs> six feet. <laughs> I think there's a, that's a real loss of 
a loss to humanity. There's like a cost besides the illness, sickness, and death. There's also a cost to the human spirit. You know, we're not meant to be in a little apartment. You know, people are. Yeah, it's probably very difficult for some now, who are not as stable. So I'm aware of that. It's not everyone. Can handle that, so we can walk and we can sit with them and hold them in our heart. So they enter being when one place suffer on the planet, one person, one loved one. We also suffer when one person dies on the planet. There's a real death too, as a human family. This is something a shared. Uh, it's a gift, but also a curse. To feel the pain of lost one, but that pain right there can also be a blessing because it can wake us up. So always the interbeing between suffering and happiness. So through the difficulty and the challenge, there can also be a wonder, a miracle, a nobleness to it. This moment contains both suffering and nobleness. So you don't say, "Oh, this suffering." No, it suffering helps teach us. So it's not uh, suffering, and la la la. Okay, I accept suffering, but suffering teaches us to value the wonders of life, the wonder of the impermanence of change. So into being to look with that. Try to find an element that is separate from, isolated from everything else. Now that you're isolated in your room, in your home, you now know what you depend on. You need some tissue, some toilet paper. Where does that come from? Who brings the toilet paper to you? The food, the vegetable. Who's gonna go pick it? Who's making those masks that is so rare now? Where did it come from? So the being aware of our dependence on each other can be liberating and. Makes us uh, feel less uh, uh, separate and dependent on each other. Is a very good thing, as we the last uh, century or two we have lived very differently, very individualistic. 
So I will uh, end here to just share some um, for those who uh, are not who are isolated. Please take care of yourself. Take care of your body. Find a good rhythm. Create yourself a retreat schedule. Find a rhythm. The secret to monastery life is we have a rhythm, and the rhythm changes depending on the season. So if you're at home, please make yourself a rhythm, and part of that rhythm is to find a place to take care of yourself. The other is to mm, make some time to nourish yourself with play, with fun, with joy, something you enjoy to do. The brothers have been playing volleyball, not really six feet apart, but uh, you know we're trying our best. <laughs> But we also need nourishment. So don't be in that depressed state always. Just and so be careful of what you read in the media. Ask yourself what is it nourishing. This is very important right now that we uh, protect and guard our senses, so it can. Mm, that doesn't go towards that blame. Sometimes the media, uh, I'm hoping that they are more aware of what seeds they're watering when they report. So there you, when you take care of yourself, you have the energy, the stability to take care of your loved ones when they are in need. So this is, uh, and there are things for us um, to contribute to, yeah, our stability, our fearlessness. So when you talk to someone, you email someone, water that seed in them. You, you use the impermanence into being our connection to water their compassion, their patience, their stability. We need more people and more of those kinds of mind. And uh, and I was sharing that I've been praying different from my mom. Well, not so different. In moments like this, my mom will hold her uh, Guan, Guan Yin. She has like a jade Guan Yin. She'll hold on to it. And she would pray for goodness. She would, she'd, you know, I remember as a child, I, I just see her doing that a lot. And at this moment, actually, she's, she's chanting. Every morning she wakes up and she chants. And she watches the Dharma talk. So it's a little different now. But it's a, it's a wonderful habit. So that it keeps your mind focused on love, kindness, compassion. So you water the good seeds. So prayer is, in a way, a kind of reminder Sometimes we think of prayer as something that we have to pray to some higher source to help. But prayer is also remembering of being mindful. 
So you can pray when you walk, when you eat. So prayer is also a coming back to something beyond ourselves, our fear, our worry, our thinking, our anxiety. We can pray as a planet, so we can come in touch with that. Lately, the you know I've been thinking about the the cell. There's a uh, what's his name, uh, Lewis. Author is where I wrote um, the living cells, the life of a living living cell, mm. and that uh, is helping me right now to see our planet as a living cell, and that it is actually adjusting and finding healing for itself. That's bringing me a lot of trust. So I'm having that. That's where my trust is coming from, as our planet, as a, a living cell that is adjusting. The last two centuries, we, we uh, unfortunately, and I don't want to play down the sickness and the, the death that is happening. But you know, humans, we become kind of like a cancer to the planet. And that's something Many of us, we don't want to accept, but we cause the planet a lot of pain, and so this is uh, the planet adjusting. Mm. And you know, this moment here with the virus, I think I know. I I, I read some numbers compared to suicide crash. I don't want to diminish the loss of loved ones. But you know, we have caused human death much more. It's in greater numbers with social illness than uh, what is happening. It's just this is quite novel. So we are. Mm, it's a uh, good news. And so this is something to be aware of that. Uh, you know, this is human death is the numbers. It's not, is people, loved ones. We are aware that the people are, you know, not only even the sick loved ones, they cannot, like my father, you know, we cannot visit. That's something also very hard too for people who are in sickness now. Not only of dying that they're dying, but they they cannot be close to their loved ones. So this is a quite a yeah a price that we are paying. Very very painful for our human family. So thank you for coming together, and as a community, as a as a sangha here and a little bit everywhere and we please know that we are keeping you and everyone in our heart and then to have the trust that uh, planet earth mother earth that we can uh, come out of this much a little bit more enlightened 
of what is happening to our planet, to our human species. And we pray that each one of us can find that uh, stability, that stillness, so that we can be a refuge for our loved ones and for our neighbors and other animals and plants. So this is a deep mm, connection that we have. And let us uh, each keep that alive wherever we are so that we can uh, collectively, you know, do this. Uh, uh, I imagine each one of us can maintain that and we are like uh, vibrating cells in this planet organism. And then that will have some ramification for a collective awakening. So please uh, take care and we will... Uh, See you again. Yeah, thank you for your listening and being present.